Hey, what about those two brothers that ran for Duluth? They kind of look alike in our Harry. No one cares about Duluth. Or Wayne State. <laughs> Yo, I'm a straight up G. You know who I be. I ran for Bermidji up in the NSIC. My name is Ryan Seed. I am defying leads. I'll catch up to you and put a spike in your cap until it bleeds. Never ever have you ever heard of John Kern and Tracky Latin twice before the first turn. Beanie Carbo damn black and don't forget Paul Yak. I don't think they've ever seen anything but my back. I'm in the M-O-R-T. H-E-R-N-S-U-N-I-C. It's a great conference for me. The NSIC is where I wanna be. I'm a Harrier in the XC. Which isn't a brief for cross-country. It's time to declare this opportunity. Hello and welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast, broadcasting live here on Shovel Lake Public Radio, the second, the third, the fourth fastest and largest, fastest growing and largest Nordic ski specific podcast in all of Lake County, and giving you some hits from the old days. This hit, the NSIC came out in 2011. Yours truly, joined by the um. The head CEO, now owner of the famous Lake Effect Running Club, blasphemy at the beginning of this piece. Tom Sierdick was saying, no one cares about Duluth. Just unbelievable. Now he lives in Duluth. He can't get enough of Duluth. Um, just kind of phenomenal. Well, she is a brief for cross-country. It's time to declare this college is rare. We're all student athletes, so you know that we care. You can't coach that. Oh, look, there goes Beaniac. Looks like McConnell's going to follow him. Holy cow, I hope he doesn't Paul Yak all over the course. And, um... I love this conference. Yeah, okay, so... <laughs> welcome to the Cedar Skier Podcast. We actually, uh, m- mournful, um, sad news that came out this past week... Regarding one legend, Paul Yak mentioned a couple of times there in that song. He's so famous in the Northern Sun Conference that even a couple of stooges from Bemidji State and Concordia College brought him up. Paul Yak, who ran for Augustana, um, was found inside the Delray Oaks Natural Area on Friday, May 26, um, pronounced dead cause of death is pending the determination of a medical examiner investigation remains open yak in florida was declared missing six days before his body was found last spotted walking away from his home um two and a half miles away from the nature area i'm reading this story from the storm lake times pilot um it says search parties canvassed the Delray Beach area last week. Missing person flyers were issued. Family members of the basketball players he coached posted online tributes to him. Yak was working as a youth coach for MT Athletics, which hosts basketball training camps and leagues for young people in the U.S., Ethiopia, Uganda, and South Sudan. Um, and the his sister has started a online fund uh, online fundraiser. Ajay just was spooked over here, but in the corner by like a rabbit or something. Started an online fundraiser to a fundraiser to alleviate the financial burdens associated with the funeral arrangements. 
the loss of a child, a sibling, a friend is a pain that words cannot fully express. It is in these moments of profound grief that we must rally together, enveloping the family in love and compassion to help them navigate the difficult days ahead. Yak, a graduate of Storm Lake St. Mary's, gained community acclaim for being a three-time state qualifier and two-time medalist in both cross-country and track. He set the Storm Lake High School cross-country record and also set records in four St. Mary's track events. He later attended Augustana University in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, becoming a two-time All-American in cross-country and an All-American in track. He attempted to qualify for the 2016 Olympics, but was two minutes short of representing his native South Sudan. Uh, Yak was born in Okobo, South Sudan, in 92. He and his family immigrated to the U.S. when he was eight years old. Uh, very tragic. Uh, I didn't know Paul Yak personally. I did race against him a couple of times. Um, so sad news. I, I know I know people who know Paul and and are, have been affected by this loss. I'm sure the loss of a friend, a teammate. So our our thoughts are with the family, with friends. As this loss, sorry to start off on the on the sad note. I felt you know it's, it was totally random. Actually, I was trying to find a song I could use just as an intro and. And just was like on my YouTube page, you go, oh my gosh! Remember when I wrote some of these dumb parodies and pulled that one in, and then and was listening to it and, and the two references to Paul Yak, and I was like, well, maybe this is kind of a fitting their memorial. We don't have much of an audience, but the people who do listen to us, uh, a lot of them know endurance sports, so maybe you even know the name Paul Yak. Um, and kind of a shock, you know, obviously when anything like that happens. Um, so our thoughts are with those affected. Uh, today on the Cedar Skier podcast, we uh, are going to hop right into discussing some news um, in the Nordic ski world. A lot of things while we were away. Four big stories, I feel like, really kind of coming out, dealing with Klabo leaving the uh, Norwegian national team. The Russians are not going to be competing again this upcoming season. That announcement came out of the FIST conference and we're actually going to look at the Ski Congress, some other decisions that were made, talk about that a little bit. But first, the fourth story, we'll start from the back, is the Fist Games. What in the heck is that? The Fist Games set for 2028, apparently. And I saved a couple of stories here. We'll read from the press release first, and then I can also add some context to this by reading from a story on Langren.com. So this is, I love it how on Fist's website, you know, you got to market and everything. All these organizations and their little PR schemes, uh, not, not any real journalism. I got to get, actually, can I open that up with a little rant here? We, we have an issue, I think, with Nordic skiing as far as journalism goes. We really, we have a crisis, okay? So here's why, you know, basically in America, most of the news, cross-country ski related, it's coming directly to media outlets via U.S. ski and snowboard. They're the ones controlling the narrative because they're the ones controlling the athletes to some degree. I mean, it's not like lock and key. You know, I, I've messaged an athlete and gotten had them on my show. We had Rosie Brennan on the show. I did not go through U.S. Ski and Snowboard to, to do that. So it's not like this isn't like really nefarious. But um, I think, you know, there there is to some degree there's this like wall between reporters and the team, especially during the season where you kind of do have to more – go through U.S. Ski and Snowboard, and they've been extremely helpful for me at times, but also I wouldn't say like, uh, I, I wouldn't give them like an A+. I want to be careful here because, I mean, again, these are these are people who are 
not bad people. I don't have ill will towards people in the U.S. Ski and Snowboard organization, the media, or athletes. But, but I think there's a level of frustration for me because, uh, you know, when you go through, well, I'll just give you an example. When I was when I'm doing the Ski and Snowboard live coverage, I think it's important to add in splices like, you know, Rosie Brennan told me today that. She feels like yesterday's skis, you know, just weren't quite up to par, but the team's been out for two and a half hours this morning, and they've been testing all the waxes, and and now she's got some confidence with her wax tech. You know, I like giving some of these insight. I like getting a quote. You know, uh, Jesse Diggins said last week that coming back to this course is a dream come true for her because she knows she can push the working downhill on the backside, and she thinks that's going to be the key to victory today. Stuff like that takes me so long to get sometimes and sometimes it sometimes it is just a piece of cake i mean i i i don't have access to these athletes like direct emails some of them now i i do but typically you know i'm going to the main pr person and saying hey i'm broadcasting this week here's a few here's a few points questions i've got for coaches a few questions i've got for athletes some some things i'd like them to comment on um, and then, you know, that he'll send them away to the athletes. And, and honestly, it's like within the hour, sometimes you'll have four audio files really quick, three, four minutes from Kern or seven, eight, 10 minutes from Jesse Diggins. I feel honored about this. You know, they're here, they're giving me this time to educate me on the course, on the venue, on the context. It's great. It, it makes the production better. It makes it more interesting. It's behind the scenes. I'm basically giving this time or, or I'm, I'm not getting paid to do this, right? I'm doing all this type of research that like in the NFL, these meetings actually are set up and happen. The league sets them up. I don't know if you guys know this, but yeah, like if you are the Fox play-by-play crew, you're three or four people, um, you're sitting down with an offensive coordinator and a player, they pull you in and, and they'll actually give you intel that is completely, you know, embargoed game relevant stuff, so they're they're giving you away secrets and and they're educating you on what's going what is going to be taking place in the game and of course there is that agree you're you're not sharing that back and forth but they're giving you stuff that is really deep and and it's kind of crazy how in the ski world like we can't even get that and it's it's like a sport that that's not even that important for like you could almost give away all the strategies you wanted to and I could blast them out on the Cedar Skier podcast airwaves and. I don't think it really even affected performance anyway, but but I always let them know like, hey, I'm asking some of these questions. Obviously, I'm going to be using them for the broadcast. None of this information is going anywhere but there, you know, and um, and I just think it's kind of interesting how there's still kind of a struggle. So that's one thing. Like if you are someone who complains about the product, sometimes it goes forth like no, at least from my vantage point, when I was given that role, I was going way above. Um, outside of what was required of me to try to create a Fox Sports and ESPN like atmosphere where I'm get, grabbing those quotes from people. And a lot of times it was very difficult to dig up. And sometimes it felt empty because it's like, well, I got four um, four guys responded, but none of the women responded. Now everyone's going to think I'm a sexist when I'm out there quoting like these people or or vice versa. It might go the other way around. Wow. How did they not get a comment from from uh, Ogden after what happened yesterday? It's like, well, he didn't, he couldn't respond to that, you know? And, and um, I know these athletes are busy. They're going through a lot. They're tired. So it's honestly, it's kind of amazing to me when they do 
go out of their way to give me something because I don't think that's in any contract either. So they're just doing that to grow the sport for a better, a better, to create a better product to grow the sport. So kudos to those athletes. And, and I have sent them emails before in response to, Hey, thank you. I really appreciate this. I think this makes me do my job better. And I think, um, consequently the product is better and, and athletes are excited. Kids are excited. People watching are excited. Okay. So that's all happening, right? But my, my contention and my complaint and my problem that I see is we don't have really good hard journalists, um, especially print and writing journalists here in America, um, doing, doing well, writing critical pieces, to be honest. I feel like there is this, they don't want to step on toes because then they lose access. And now that I just explained what I explained, where it's like the access already feels kind of limited, well, it makes some sense, you know, like, oh, gee, if I if I critique this or I, or I tell this piece of information, I'm probably not going to get to talk to this coach again because he's going to be mad at me. Or same thing with an athlete. Like if this athlete re- realizes they don't agree with me on uh, this climate change issue or something like that, like they might now they're not friends where I'm not on the inside, I've lost it, you know, and, and I think that is kind of on the back burner, on the back minds of some some journalists. But then even beyond that, if you just read like a sports story that is written in the Star Tribune on the Minnesota Timberwolves, a gamer in the Denver Post, any any normal sports story, there is kind of the formula of how those 20-inch to 26-inch 26-inch gamers are written. You know, you come out, you've got a great lead, you've got an opening quote, you have some sort of kind of attention getter if it, if it seems right appropriate even before that maybe, and then you go into the body, you explain the race quickly, you know, key moments, key components, have a quote from someone else, you know, you, you can have protagonists and antagonists within it and have some quotes and things from other, other people depending on the narrative outline, the drama, and then you wrap it up, you close it up. We don't have that. Like if you go on certain websites and you're like reading gamers, it's like it, it's it's either sloppy or it's way too long. You've got these massive paragraphs. There's no like AP style that that is and, and that stuff even kind of bothers. I mean, AP style, I have to work with it, but I'm not like someone who is um, the rule follower, so to speak, and like really bugged by it. But it does bother me when there is a lack of like professionalism and you do, you don't follow some of the basic rules, you know, like don't have a quote that's 17 lines long. Like that's, you got to break that up. You got to summarize things like quotes should be three lines max. You know, if it's more than that, figure something out. Um, and, and we just, so it's just the writing quality isn't great. Um, across a lot of websites and there's a lot of insertion of narrative. Some, some websites feel a little more like a blog post mixed with a news mixed with an editorial. It's like kind of weird. And sometimes I'm on certain websites and I feel like, man, I feel like I'm reading, like, I feel like this gamer was written by one of the athletes parents. You know what I mean? Like if, if you're a dad or a mom and you're telling some random guy how the race went how your kids race went he kind of he sounded a little too much like a cheerleader it's a little nauseating and and that and and it, it's like you don't have to be negative because that can be editorializing as well you know come across and and cut to the meat of it so to speak and but but if you are going to be someone who toes or, or i guess stretches 
uh, some of the rules and you do get a little opinionated, you you can just call it how it is too. You don't have to feel like you need to be a cheerleader. And that's, that's I think, the part that I'm getting at too is like if we want – if the U.S. ski team wants to be taken seriously and they want that, hey, we're pro athletes, you know, this is a pro sport. We're the best in our country at this and, and blah, blah, blah. Then, well, look at other pro athletes. How does the media treat Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Tom Brady? Look at how critical they are. Look at how snarky journalists can be. You know, and, and, you know, like very opinionated as well. Like when they come out on a podcast or a sports radio show, I mean, it's why it's an industry. They can talk for hours with their opinions. They rip coaches, they rip players, they praise players when it, and, and sometimes it's all a charade, um, a charade, charade. Sometimes it's just kind of fake for drama, whatever. I mean, I think we kind of do that a little bit too. And I think people like it, but, but the point is, is like, you can actually, common man bringing back in one thing he, he he talks about is like before a show back in the day he'd have a guest on okay uh we're gonna talk about the quarterback controversy on the Packers do you want to be pro Brett Favre you know or anti Brett Favre or whatever and and um I'll take the other you know and then because they can just go at it you, you got to have some of that rhetoric ability I think if you're going to be a journalist and so it doesn't it doesn't mean that you have to be always pro always con um, I would like, though, to see some teeth. This is actually one reason why the Devin Kershaw show is one of my favorite shows, because of what Devin brings to it. He's a little bit, when he's in his unfiltered moments, he can be great to listen to because he he is not afraid, or at least he didn't really used to be afraid of saying things that might offend other people if they were true. And And he really is a good commentator in that sense he's a great he i don't know if he would be like an amazing um live event color commentary guy i think he could be like i think if him and i were going back and forth during an event it'd be kind of interesting to do i would love to do it um but but not everyone is made for the uh the event is happening right now and you got to be talking over it i think that's a special gift and it's kind of its own category but he's great for like man a nine to noon radio show every day on skiing. You, he could he could fill the airwaves, um, and and so that's why I like it. But but you see on like some of these shows where they've had even two, it's almost like he has to come back on the next week and sort of apologize or contextualize or walk something back or you know because and I feel bad for him. He's probably getting emails from the ski community saying yeah you can't you can't be so negative on this person and uh, why can't you just be positive and it's like okay no Devin's doing what he should be doing okay and you fans need to grow some skin here grow some thick skin your sport if you want it you can't have it both ways okay you can't have all the color commentary people um always being cheerleadery but also giving you the inside scoop and and trying to treat this sport like it's serious if we're gonna treat it like a pro sport then let's treat it like a pro sport like every single other one in the way we cover it in the way we commentate about it in in um, all those issues you know so it, it does bother me I think a little bit it, it, everyone's kind of to blame journalists are to blame for for having low quality and not not being afraid or being afraid to uh, be critical at times uh, working better so you're just better writers that write good content um, fans are to blame for kind of wanting it a little bit both ways. Also, like just not interacting 
with the content the way they should. Like they should be critical of some of these websites if their stories are lame and um, they should demand more, you know. And athletes can be to blame too for not always giving that access that, that they should and not always be willing to answer tough questions, you know. Um, or, or, or making a scene when a tough question is asked. Now, granted, I'll be fair, like the Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, sometimes they make a scene when a tough question is asked too, right? And then it goes viral. But you got to remember, like, that is often the like 70, 75th question that they've answered in the last two days about the same topic, you know, and, and they know like these reporters are just baiting, baiting, baiting because they want them to, they want to be the guy who goes viral, like, this is not the same thing. And, and skiers aren't faced with that kind of a media barrage. And they shouldn't be. They're not getting paid millions and millions of dollars. So I, I don't think it's fair to really equate it. Um, and But anyway, it's just it's just kind of this weird, delicate balance. And, and I think part of the problem, too, and I've mentioned this on previous shows, is like, we are, there is such a thing as a Nordic ski community. It's this very close-knit family. And they're trying to kick me out, I think. Uh, but, but like, uh, so it's this, it is weird. Like, you you um if you say something if you do something like that gets around and uh and then you're kind of out it's it's not such a safe space in that sense it's almost too safe of a space i don't even know what i'm saying but but you, I, maybe you you understand what i'm getting at is like there is there is kind of this click i think with cross country skiing and that causes problems because our journalists are from that click and then what are they supposed to do they can't they can't be critical because then they get kicked out of the click and then no one's covering it, and then everyone's mad that we're not taking it seriously. So, I don't know. I think I think that is maybe the one thing this show, as sparsely listened to as it is, adds to the space. Is look, we want we wanted to start a sports show, just like the just like the major shows you listen to on ESPN, Colin Coward, um, any Mike and Mike in the morning, like you name it. We want to do that only for skiing. Well, of course, we we got to bring up topics. We got to be spicy. We got to have some opinions. We want to we want to create something people want to listen to. And all that is to say, we we draw ourselves back. It does nauseate me sometimes when I get these press releases from these organizations and these PR people, because a lot of times a PR person was a was a great journalist who got offered more money from an organization to 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 now not do good journalism like to to be someone who has to always toe the party line and be overly positive and leave out information if it's negative you know and and exaggerate information that's positive and and you end up with just kind of feeling icky sometimes after you read that because you're not even sure what to believe sometimes um and now after i post this i'll probably never get a notification that jesse dickens is having a media call uh but <laughs> anyway i don't know um and this this all is to say I'm on Fist's page because Fist, Fist has got to have some press release. They got to let you know what's happening. And this was from May 23rd. Fist Games 2028, the chance to make history. Um, let me contrast that with Langren Langren.com. Uh, this is great. Their headline on the same day must postpone the premiere of the Fist Games for four years. So right off right off the bat. The first thing I'm thinking is, what in the heck is this Fist Games? I didn't know anything about this. I'm feeling like a total idiot, which I kind of am when it comes to like being in, in the inside scoop on ski stuff. I I know some people out there think I'm an expert, but I'm just pretending, you know, fake it till you make it. And so right, right off the bat, you see Fist Games is saying the chance to make history. 
and the road to the inaugural Fisk Games 2028 has officially started. Fisk has contacted all its member federations and presented a bidding guide with a timeline for the application process for all potential hosts. Don't worry, we'll click on the bidding guide and let you know all the things that's in there. Um, and so that's the lead for the Fisk press release, and the lead here um, <laughs> is under the photo, lack of organizers. The, this is Langred.com. The first Fist Games Championship will be held in 2028, not in 2024. The Fist announces this ahead of the annual meeting to the Fist Board this week. The Fist Games concept, a joint championship for all disciplines within the International Skiing and Snowboarding Federation every four years and seasons without the World Cup or Olympics, was first launched in 2021. The ambition was then for the first edition to be held in 2024 and the next in 2028, but now the premiere has been postponed. On Tuesday, FIS announced that the first in the series will be run in 2028. Well, why is that? Let's keep reading to find out. As recently as October this year, FIS President Johan Eliash predicted that the first edition of the FIS Games would take place in 2024. That's a crazy line. October, that's not that long ago. So he's thinking 2024, we're going to have this. He could not then confirm that the FIS actually had relevant organizers in place for the event. Ooh. He admitted that time was short, but still expected that it would work out. This is his quote. Uh, yes, 2024 is not long away, but we have no problem with that. Just look at Zermatt. We decided they would host races last year and next month. They are ready to run the first competitions at the foot of the Matterhorn, Elias said in October 2022. Now, it turns out that 2024 was overly ambitious. The first championship has been postponed until 2028, and FIS is still looking for organizers. Application deadlines have been set for 1st of November 2023, and the award will take place during the annual meeting of the FIS Council in 2024. Um, and then it kind of mentions cooperation and reuse. Sustainability and inclusion are essential values for FIS. And therefore, potential organizers, organizers are encouraged to use existing facilities and to cooperate across regions and national borders. The concept for the Fist Games calls for around 100 medals to be distributed across all disciplines during the 16 days these championships last. Well, there's a lot to digest here. And I know I just went away from the Fist press release because, you know, and now you've seen there is a real story written about that about it. Let's go back to uh, the press release. After I read the, the bidding guide, blah, 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 right? This is the next line on Fist.com. The Fist Games will be the greatest of all snow sports events, a landmark celebration bringing the Fist family together as never before. Taking place over 16 days, the Games will represent the full range of snow sports talent from both Olympic and non-Olympic sports, including, of course, para-snow sports. From alpine to freestyle, free ski and snowboard and Nordic, from telemark to speed skiing and free ride, the world's greatest athletes will showcase their talents in front of a global audience. The ambition for the Fist Games is huge. Taking place in a four-year cycle, this highly anticipated occasion may be hosted by one region or by multiple hosts across a variety of locations and even across borders. A grand opening ceremony will be followed by an outstanding program and a closing ceremony at the highest standard. The goal is to create an exhilarating experience for spectators and athletes on site and an exciting and rich visitors event program. There are so many adjectives in this story. <laughs> for the wider world, an innovative and state-of-the-art TV viewing experience will have all the fans at the edge of their seats. I am now feeling justified about going through that rant about the difference between being a PR person doing press releases for an organization and writing a news story. I continue. 
as well as offering a world-class spectacle. The games will lead the way on sustainability and inclusivity. Gotta have that. You gotta have that nowadays. Projecting an inspiring message about the positive impact that major sporting events can have. To this end, the Fist Games shall take place at already existing facilities with sustainability and legacy at their core. After a letter of intent from interested hosts, FISC will offer hands-on support and expertise to help define and develop the project. The official application... Uh, by the way, what's that going to look like? I wish I could be a fly on the wall there. I want to see FISC offer hands-on support and expertise to help define and develop the project. Define it? Like, is the organizer standing there like, this guy, I kind of forget what we're doing here. Well, remember, you're creating an exhilarating, world-class experience for spectators that is both sustainable and inclusive and producing an inspiring message about the positive impact that sporting events can have. Thanks, Fisk guy. Okay, now I remember what I'm doing, so you help me define it. Can you help me develop it? Of course. All right. The official application deadline on the 1st of November 2023... Oh, sorry. Back to my voice. I'm reading the story. The official application deadline on the 1st of November 2023 will be followed by an inspection group phase. The ho What are they going to do there? The inspection group phase. What? Uh, the, what? <laughs> I'm just, I was trying to imagine... I'm trying to imagine how they're, what they're going to inspect for. I would imagine a lot of that's got to be, you know, looking at... Is this an environment? Probably, they'll probably see if there's existing buildings on site. You know, like Lake Placid. We've already got a lot of these things together. We don't have to build new stuff. I actually appreciate that. As much as I'm making mocking the sustainability thing, it does bother me to no end that these um, that that will make entire cities like for the Olympics all these dorms, these massive stadiums, and then they become dormant. It's just totally a waste. But doesn't it clue you in a little bit? The emergency of climate change is not an emergency to these people, okay? It obviously isn't. People don't act like that in emergencies. They don't go, oh my gosh, if if you drive that Suburban 200 miles, you are a terrible person. You're hurting the climate. And then they, and then I'm going to go off and like construct an $80 billion, 100,000 uh, person stadium for one event that's going to last for two weeks in Beijing. You know, like they don't, they don't take this seriously. This is, if, if someone were to ask me, honestly, like, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on climate change? And like, how, how seriously are you taking it? I'd be like, I'm taking it as seriously as you are. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're standing here right now. You still, you drove a car to meet me here. Uh, you know, like it just bothers me. Like the same thing was happening during COVID kind of too, you know, like when it was a quote emergency, like, no, you guys understand, we, we might need a real emergency so that that term kind of can get put back into place. Like, it is. It's making a mockery of it. But yeah, when they, they when they talk about, especially in the snow sports world, how much of an emergency the climate is, and then you you saw this the second that the World Cup season was over, every single athlete. Okay, that's that's superlative. It wasn't every single one, but how many of the athletes you follow on Instagram did you see a week after or two weeks after the season was over? They were on a beach somewhere tropical. You know, it, it, there was a ton. And it's like guys from Norway going to Miami, got uh, people from the U.S. go not going home, you know, to the families that they missed for and, and they're away from living out of a suitcase for five months. No, they they go off to they jettison to some beach in California or whatever. Like it, 
if it's an emergency to you and you want me to believe you, then why don't you act like it's an emergency? Look, I'm actually being a hundred times more climate sensitive than most of the people who are like grandstanding that wearing the the protect our winters t-shirts any of that stuff like i haven't left our state in 14 months i haven't been outside of colorado like in that time i've skied i've had winters where i've logged between 185 and 196 days on snow i've had over or close to 1100 hours of training I've been reasonably fit for Nordic skiing, living where I am, driving my 2002 Buick LeSabre <laughs> wherever I need to get to, okay, and Sprinter Van on occasion until I got nervous about using it. And and it's just crazy to me. Like, yeah, I, I, I can't stand it. The people who are, like, flying overseas, taking these wild trips, and then they're the same people who are kind of like championing some of these as if it's an, the championing some of the conservation stuff. Like that's the emergency at our fingertips. I can't believe it. it's like, dude, you in the last 10 days just um, ex- exhibited a, car- or what, what was, what's the right word? You created a carbon footprint that will take me living the lifestyle I am living like 75 years to get to. Just by flying on that one airplane, you know, like, it's just kind of crazy to me. Yeah, I haven't flown an airplane in, on an airplane in five years, maybe. I, I mean, it's been a long time, and, and only for, like, eagle eye, flying to random track meets to work. Those are the times I've been on an airplane. I guess I've, I flew to Norway for a recruiting trip. That's by far, it's the only overseas trip I've ever taken. It's by far the largest carbon footprint I ever made was flying to Norway, you know? So, like... I just think, uh, yeah, if you think it's an emergency and then the inspection group phase, well, you know, this is really a big deal. We really have to do it. Like, it's all for show. It's just, it's it's annoying. It's nauseating. I'm still waiting for the first big time skier to not just virtue signal when it comes to climate. If they really think it's an emergency, they should actually do something. And don't make the excuse that like, well, I'm the really famous person, so it's important for me. Like, don't make the John Kerry excuse, basically, right? It's like, I'm the one who needs to fly and meet with all these people. No, you don't. You could, we live in 2023. You can Zoom any single person you want. So if they, if again, if those people actually even, who are trying to figure out the climate issue for our planet, if they really wanted to, and they thought this was such a big deal, they should be leading the charge on like the Zoom meeting. I mean, come on. It just, all that stuff bothers me. There, there was my climate change rant for all of you out there. John LeCant listening and he's tuning into the Cedar Gear podcast. He just can't believe it. He just got name dropped on the Cedar Gear podcast. The intrepid, phenomenal reporter at the Vale Daily. Um, he can give me his opinions later on, I suppose. But there we are. There we are. We are who we are. There was your Fist Games press release and a little different look on the Fist Games story. So what exactly is this then? 16 days. We have another global championship. We're going to have Alpine Freestyle, Free Ski, Snowboard, Nordic. Uh, what's the program going to look like? It, it says, according to Langren, that there it calls for 100 medals to be distributed across all disciplines during 16 days. Sounds like a fun little festival. Um, let's see what Cedar Skier podcast listeners think about this, Fizz Games, when we come back here on the Cedar Skier podcast on Shovel Lake Public Radio. All right, we're back here on Shovel Lake Public Radio. So glad to have this segment brought to you by Kroger Brands. Kroger Sparkling Water Blueberry Pomegranate. Mm. 
they're actually not a sponsor of the show, but I've got one here. In this economy, I used to be able to, I should say, in this economy, it's tragic. I used to be able to buy one of these beautiful 33.8 ounce sparkling water beverages for under 60 cents. Now it's like a dollar. I, I, I don't do it like ever. I did today only because I lifted weights at the Avon Rack Center. First two days of lifting, okay, it's it's happened now. We're back in business. Um, but I, as I'm preparing to leave after a three-day just hardcore work trip spent in Avon and Eagle Vale, which what I mean by that is basically living in the Sprinter van, writing a bunch of stories, training, and just being in silence. Um, I got a text from my wife because we're going to have some people over for burgers this weekend. She's like, you got to pick up basically burger stuff. And I'm like, ah, gosh, I do not want to drive Enoch around all of Avon's roundabouts to City Market and go back into the store and have to deal with no bags at the checkout and self-checkout and the stupid beepy thing getting mad at me because I'm so fast at it. It can't keep up all that stuff. But uh, so I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to do all this, I will reward myself with chocolate milk, great post-workout recovery, and I will get a sparkling water. Save it for the show later today. So there's there we are. But hey, we'd love it. If Kroger wants to sponsor us, they can know. I've been eating the Kroger brand flakes for years. And it, it, there's no better way to end one day and consequently begin the next, if you know what I mean. Okay, so we were talking fist games and um, got an email from the man. I got, I got to think of a good nickname for Knox Taylor. He is definitely one of the, you know, I don't know, like, what, what, I need some military terms, like Colonel in the Pitchfork Nation Army. He's up there. Um, Hard Knox Taylor. Uh, He says, Fist Games, I missed that one. Had to look it up. I guess I missed that one. Had to look it up. Don't worry, you're not alone. Um, Which, by the way, if you're going to have a global championships and there's like people who care about cross-country skiing, like, what is this? Uh, That's not a good sign. I guess I'm neutral on it, he says. Personally, I enjoy watching regular season races just as much as the championship or Olympic races. I don't really get more emotionally invested just because it's a championship event. What I do like, however, is watching lots of racing. A new race every day or every couple of days is great, and that's what I like about the Tour de Ski, World Championships, and Olympics. So if the Fist Games means more races to watch, then I love it. That said, it would be cool if they can do something to differentiate this new event from the others. Perhaps use it to experiment with new racing formats or something just a little unique to set it apart. Yeah, this is interesting. Like, um, I guess if I would have been like a real investigative journalist and been doing my due diligence, I don't know if I, I don't know if I could have watched like the live stream. I'm guessing they didn't really discuss fist game stuff much yet. But you got to think um, this would be a good question to ask. You know, if I had him in my contacts and I was basically the Adam Schefter of Nordic skiing, which I am not, but I could just quick call up Chris Grover or Matt Wickham and be like, so has there been any discussions about fist games stuff, you know, stuff on the program? Like, what's that going to look like? Is this is this a for real thing? Like another global championships? What do athletes think about this? When did they first know about this? Like, are we going to be taking this seriously? Do you, do you, do you think this is going to be like an XFL type thing where it's gone after one rendition? Is it here to stay? Is it going to kind of replace the world championships at some point? Like this all seems very strange. What 
Tell us the Genesis story of the Fist Games from inside these boardroom meetings, and and what are your thoughts on it? Uh, That would be a fascinating, long-winded, Dambarero-type question. Actually, that wasn't even a Dambarero question. There was a lot of good questions in there. Dambarero would have wandered a lot longer. But, you know, regardless, uh, I I think as far as Knox's email goes— I can a lot of these points resonate with me as well. I kind of do agree. Like the tour to ski is um, as much as it gets complained about for how it's changed and how it's different. It's great that in a nine, 10 day span, you have seven days of races. There's nothing better as a fan looking forward all day to like, yeah, yeah, tonight we get to watch skiing. You know, we're going to go or, or this morning I get to wake up and have a ski race to watch. I love that. And, um, and, and it motivated us, you know, we get, afterwards we could talk about it and, and then pre- we could talk about the race that just happened, predict what's coming next, you know, and this is again, one of the, the media things that was great when you ski and snowboard sending us media, those audio files, boots on the ground interviews, it's like, Hey, great. And that's not hard to do in this day and age. Like when you have an iPhone, you stick it up, Ben Ogden talks for a minute and a half, you click you know, send to cedarskier at gmail.com and send us your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. You can send that and like two seconds later, I I could upload that in a podcast and be discussing it. I mean, we live in a day and age where like content producing has never been easier and and thick, rich journalism has never been easier in that regard. Um, so I, I liked that. I liked the tour to ski and I think things like that where you've got something to expect and look forward to is great. Um, and it's honestly probably... One thing that the World Cup in cross-country skiing actually does do better than like track and field and even maybe cycling. You know, if I'm looking at some of these endurance sports, track and field has the Diamond League and those are uber, uber elite. But they don't have this system right now where like there's a season long standings that is the real um, the thing that athletes are financially uh, incentivized to go for. So. The very best, the Jakob Ingebretson, who's who, who could well, he's not a clabo of track, he's not that good, but like, you know, he's he's going to use a diamond league totally for his self interest to peak for the world championships and only the world championships or the Olympic games because that is literally the only thing he's financially incentivized to do with his Nike contract, with his country, with global team names, it's all that stuff. So like, track really misses the boat. Whereas in skiing, every weekend matters. Like if you miss it it matters if you win it matters if you get 15th and your your biggest rivalry gets third it all matters so that's something i think that nordic ski needs to keep leaning into when it comes to something that's exciting and if the fist games is something that is going to do that well then i think it's going to be great for the sport if it's too chintzy and you can't get this buy-in then it's going to be a terrible disaster but at the very least like Knox is saying maybe it can be an experimental grounds where even if athletes know this does not matter as much as the world championships because it just doesn't have the same legacy or bite and who cares that the winner gets 50 grand it's just chump change chump change for Michaela Schifrin um they they can use it to be creative like maybe this is the space where you do a 50k individual start (laughs) Let's kick it right off the bat with the most exciting race we possibly could. But, you know, throw in a Nordic cross event, have a relay that's a different distance or something like that, like maybe true team scores, you know, something like that. If you have, if you have got some good ideas for the Fist Games and what they could do with this, um, send them to me, cedarskier at gmail.com. That's lowercase s, all lowercase, S-E-D-E-R, 
S-K-I-E-R.com. Um, because I'm curious, like, what do, you, what do you think would make this worth it? What do you think is going to happen to this? Uh, where do you think it's going to be? Let's talk about that a little bit. So in the bidding process, of course, I mentioned that it has a bidding guide. This is available on fist.com. You can look at it. It's an eight-page guide. And this is where I'm assuming Langren got the information that they're looking at 16 days, 100 medal events, because on the first page here, it talks about that 16-day festival snow sports, uh, 100 medal events program that attracts fans all over the world, produces high-level broadcasts, supports gender parity, and includes para-athletes. Um, I wonder whose idea this was, too. I, w- I want some history. I need, a, I need a journalist to go in here. Honestly, ask Johan, like, what what was the genesis of this? Um, it has some quotes in here from him as well. Oh, wow. I shouldn't have... Uh, I guess I should have done my due diligence and looked at this before I started talking about all the events. Here's what we got on here right now. On page four, it it has all the different events. So sprint, team sprint, um, 10K, 10K, and 15K, 15K skiathlon, 10K, 15K individual, freestyle slash classic, so probably one or the other, 30K, 50K mass dart, freestyle classic and relay so what how (laughs) this is weird though isn't it like the fact that in the cross-country world we made this move this is another story we're going to get to today this idea that all the the equal distances for genders and here in the fist games one page before two pages before it talks about having gender parity and then in the cross-country events it has different distances how did they let that slide? So that tells me either, you know, that that has nothing, that isn't what is actually going to happen, or these guys are just kind of, they had to put in something. I don't know. That's interesting, though. The benefits of hosting this, by the way, if you want to nominate your town, um, all the citizens of Shovel Lake are probably getting in there. Um, benefits of hosting would be economic development, increased enthusiasm for sport, Support from the start and reputation. Let's go through some of these. Economic development. It says the Fist Games are designed to yield a large economic impact for the host through TV exposure, sponsorship activation, and government investment. In addition, the high profile of the event promises great potential returns to the local tourism industry. And uh, it goes on and on. Increased enthusiasm, uh, reputation. One thing, you know, it says Fist Games will shine a giant global spotlight on the host resort. Millions of viewers expected to tune in. I just, I, I'm, I'm, I have not seen any comments from any athletes on this Fist Games concept, so it has me at least a little bit skeptical. But here's the quick deadline, so you can keep up to speed on everything. It looks like, as opposed to here, it says letter of intent. Um, provide a letter of intent by August 1st, 2023. Project review, non-committal dialogue phase, August to October. Official application deadline is the 1st of November, as we said. Then there's going to be an inspection phase between November and March, where there will be dialogue between the inspection group and the potential host as they finalize the project. Um, final questionnaire submission, March 31st, 2024. Final candidate. The inspection group proposes candidate to the Fisk Council. That'll be spring of 2024, and then they'll elect it in spring of 2024. So that's the Fist Games spectacle. We'll see what happens. Uh, we can talk more about that on another show. Let's move on to some other news, though. Um, the other big item that I, I believe we really do need to address here is 
the um, continuation of the ban on Russian athletes, the fist policy decision. So this is FasterSkier.com, Ken Roth reporting. In a tersely worded announcement, the International Ski Federation announced that its ban on Russian and Belarusian athletes would continue. The entirety of the release, release was contained in the summary notes of decisions made at the Fist Council meeting held May 24th. Tersely worded. What does tersely mean? In a way that uses few words and often does not seem polite or friendly. I mean, I don't know. It seems... A, <laughs> not sure if I would say it was tersely worded. It, it, it was short, but here's the release. The current FIST policy, which does not allow the participation of Russian and Belarusian athletes and officials in FIST events, will remain in effect until further notice. Um... And then it goes on, uh, Roth goes on to say, FIS's decision is at odds with the IOC's position, which allows for athletes to compete from the banned countries under a neutral flag. So, yes, that is referring to Thomas Bach, the head of the IOC. He is encouraging uh, or was encouraging these uh, governing bodies to reinstate Russians. And in fact, this headline coming to you from Around the Rings, Info. Uh, around the rings, infobay.com. This is a story. Novi is very upset. June 1st, it says um, the president of the IOC praised the federations that reinstated Russians to the competitions. The deck says Thomas Bach said that it has been demonstrated that sporting events can be organized with the participation of both countries, and he denounced that there are forces that want to, quote, divide the global sports movement that he leads. Um, and so the headline here, the president or the 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 lead, the president of the IOC, Thomas Bach, described as quote detractors, those who oppose the return of Russian and Belarusian athletes to the world competitive stage, and ruled that they are wrong. The German official gave a strong speech at the General Assembly of the Association of International Summer Olympic Federations (ASOIF) in the Swiss city of Lausanne. Lausanne is that how you say it? Lausanne. Lausanne, Lausanne, Lausanne. During his presentation, Bach stated that the autonomy of sports was being, quote, undermined by some governments and that there are forces that want to, quote, divide the global movement that he leads. In addition, he praised the international federations that managed to successfully organize international tournaments with athletes from Russia and Belarus. Um, he says, quote, everyone knows that extremely complex political problems cannot have an easy way out. Only populists claim to have simple solutions to solve the most complex problems in the world, Bach said in one of the toughest passages of his speech. On uh, February 22, Russian and Belarusian athletes had been excluded from the international sports community following the recommendations of the IOC itself in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So large number of world champs, world cups, continental tournaments, nothing's been happening. Three months ago, the IOC exec executive committee suggested that competitors from both nations be authorized as neutrals only on an individual level, and provided that they had not supported the war in Ukraine and were not affiliated with the Russian armed forces. So it sounds like the IOC is, is one, saying we're, we're happy with some of these federations that have been able to figure out a way to get these athletes to compete um, in, a neutral flat, or in a neutral setting. They've also um, suggested that Russian competitors, Belarusian competitors, um, if they haven't supported the war and are not affiliated with the Russian armed forces, um, they could be authorized as neutrals. What do the Russian athletes think about this? Or or people in Russian sport think about that? Maybe a better way of saying it. Um, so I went to sports.ru. 
looking at some of the skiing stories here. And Elena Valby says, I'm, quote, I'm categoric. This is translation, by the way, so could be lost in translation a bit. But I'm categorically against speaking in a neutral status. In this situation, you need only with a flag and an anthem. So obviously, the translation kind of lost there a little bit. But it says the headline of Valby again spoke out against the neutral status for Russian athletes. Earlier, the head of the Russian Olympic Committee, Stanislav uh, Poz- Poznyakov, said that the Russians should not sign any declarations that contradict the legislation of the Russian Federation in order to be allowed to com- to compete. Um, Poznyakov also noted that one of the main tasks is to return Russian athletes to the international arena with the national flag and anthem. I am also, this is a quote, I am also categorically opposed to speaking in neutral status. Okay, that's Valby. Um, so Valby seems to agree with the head of the Russian olympic committee that look we're not gonna we don't we shouldn't be signing anything that says that we're, we, we want to compete in neutral status and there's all these short little stories these uh they're not all one stories it's like these are all from this month though may 12th volbia bell alternative starts quote and who is interested in winter from our friendly countries we can't compete with africa in skiing so <laughs> We uh we will not be able to hold alternative stuff. That's basically what that little there's two paragraphs believes Russia does not need to hold winter alternative competitions. In other words, let's host something some other international thing because it sounds like the other news story I'm going to bring up, it sounds like the plan for the Russian athletes is just to replicate what they did last year doing mostly um, local within the country. That's according to Mikhail Ivanov. He says, I think that the next season for Russia's, Russian skiers will be a repeat of the previous season. We will perform only at domestic competitions. If you remember how everything went last season, then our athletes were not offended by the prize money. Almost all the leaders stated that it was great to perform in front of their native fans. Um, so that's a couple of hints there. So the Russians are, in other words, Russian athletes, people, uh, Volby, the head of the cross country, you know, they're, they're not, they're not for trying to do whatever it takes to get, um, into these international competitions. If it means, you know, um, disowning the country, so to speak, then they don't want to do it. And that's, this is an April 4th story again from sports.ru. It says Volby quote, we must not be allowed to wipe our feet all our lives. If we go to the Olympics now under a neutral flag, then we will arouse the hatred of our fans. Uh, Volby believes that neutral status at the at, of Russia at the Olympics will cause the hatred of fans. And then she said, uh, oh, no, this was a question posed to her. You have repeatedly expressed the position that it is impossible to return to international sports without a flag and an anthem. But, but we have held three Olympics in this capacity. If in your time you were told in your prime that you would have to perform without a flag and an anthem, what would you do? And she says, there should be an absolutely clear concept here. The reason why the flag and anthem were taken away from you. The reason why we went through the last Olympics without national symbols, even if the, even if this reason is dishonest towards us, we know. Okay, it sounds like, I think the translation there probably her saying, we know that the reason we went the last Olympics without our symbols is because there was a dishonesty. It, was, it, it, was, uh, it shouldn't have happened. We know that. Now, again, sitting over here in America, like... And and we, Russians are getting one set of truth <laughs> from their media. We're getting a different set. So that's the, the disconnect there. Um, and then she says, my conviction, my personal opinion, 
I don't know whether the leaders of our sport, the Russian Olympic Committee, or the president of our country will agree with this opinion, but if I live in a free country and have the right to express it, if now I go to the Olympic Games under a neutral flag, then we will cause a certain hatred, escalation, and resentment from our, our fans. This will lead to a split in society. Hundreds of thousands of families now have relatives in the NWO. It does not matter how old these men are, 23, 35, or 50. They lie in the trenches on the front line and risk their lives every day so that we live in peace, so that our flag continues to proudly fly over our heads. And we do have a good life, don't we? We eat well, live in good hotels, compete in competitions. For me, an athlete is sacred, and this is absolutely clear. But in this situation, I won't say to any of my athletes, despite everything, even under a white flag, you must go to the Olympics. This is deeply my personal opinion. If I were an athlete now, went to Korea without a flag and an anthem, went to China under the flag of the ROC, and now I would be offered to go to the Olympics under the white flag of the IOC, even if I were the absolute leader and understood that I could win at least five gold medals, I would refuse. Interesting that she says that. You know, she did win five gold medals at a world championship. So Volby saying, look, how long, how long are we going to be able to do this? And she says, actually, th- that's the very last statement. I love my homeland very much. It seems to me that we should not be allowed to wipe our feet all our lives. Um, I, I'm, the gist I'm getting here is like Volby, if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly here, you know, she's just saying, it seems unfair that we're year after year, the universal, universally agreed upon international enemy number one, you know, everyone in the world is against us or looking to, um, uncover all the. All of the dirt when it comes to Russian doping or political, social political decisions, whatever it is, like everyone on earth seems to, uh, this is not me saying this, but it seems like everyone on earth is just against us here. Why is it, this isn't fair. I want to go to the Olympics and just represent my country like everyone else does. And if I can't do that, I'm not going to go. Like, um, and I think this, this, I will add my just nuance to, I guess, my own opinion on this stuff is, look, Whatever your uh, opinions are on the political situation or Russian history of uh, Russian athletes doping, all those things, those things can all be historical facts even, you know, that, okay, so Russians have doped, okay, so Stalin was, was, uh, that happened, you know, like all the things in its history that are maybe dark, but there's a lot of countries that have really really dark evil things and there are countries right now if you look at china north korea you know other places where it's authoritarian it's not they're not espousing moral values that most people would agree on and yet russia is the one place that it seems like everyone unites up against and and i'm not really um i think that's that's the part that bothers me and this war in ukraine is it's been dragging on it's a bad situation um and i'm not I'm not saying I'm pro-Russia here, but but I do have at least I have some I feel bad for Russian athletes in this situation in regards to what I what I just laid out. Like it would be frustrating to have a sense of pride for your country and your homeland for certain reasons. The the history behind it, just hey, this is the country I grew up in. Yeah, there's warts and all, but but to be an athlete who wants to represent the country, and we know Russian athletes do have tremendous pride for their country, and the IOC seems to gang up not on China, not on any of these other countries, but always Russia. Um, and there there's obviously scandals, whether it's doping or political decisions 
that you could find for a bunch of other nations. So I do find it frustrating there. And I, at, at a, the bare minimum, to some degree, there's a level of inconsistency that doesn't seem right. Um, and you even go back to the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. There was the issue um, with China's authoritarian government that people didn't want to talk about at all. And so they just kind of brushed it under the rug. Why did, why did we do that? If that Olympics would have been in Russia, you know, you name it, they were, there would have been something they would have been journalists would have been trying to dig up, you know, because it's the narrative there. And yeah, I think it's it's annoying that even today politicians politicians on both sides of the aisle seem to weld Russia in whatever fashion as possible. See, this is this is the New York Yankees of the social political sphere. Like we can all agree to hate them, right? You know, and um so I think that's that is a frustrating thing. Now I will get back to an email I got on this issue regarding Russia being banned again. And this person says, I don't like it. It's just meaningless political virtue signaling that has zero influence on Russian foreign policy, only hurts innocent athletes and cheapens the victory for those who get to race and do win. Can we all just put a Ukraine flag in our bio and call it a day? The effect would be the same. Yeah, I mean, it's inter- I'm not really sure what these decisions are. It's, I find it fascinating that the IOC is kind of like it seems to be based on these stories like they're kind of pushing for let's get the russians back into competitions and maybe the compromise that the ioc is putting forward is like we'll just have them compete neutral on our neutral flag and and fist for whatever reason has decided that no we're going to keep this policy in place now the norwegian media reaction to this was one of kind of like celebration for it and I don't know if I'm misreading that. Maybe Norwegians can help me out as to, like, what's the general vibe here? Because I would think the reaction from Norway should not be one of celebration. That looks kind of like poor sportsmanship. If for no other reason, the Russians on both the men's and the women's side, that is the team that has the best chance of taking the Norwegian athletes down. Like, in any given race, the Russians are competitive with the Norwegians, and you know, fans have been deprived of the amazing Russian-Norwegian rivalry uh, now for the for the last year and a half almost or whatever, end of 2022, now on here into 2023. So, it, I mean, if you're a Norwegian, you can, um, you can hold in one hand, I support this decision, I think it's the right decision, but I'm very disappointed that we won't have Bolshinov in the ring, that we won't have um, Stepanovov or Natalie Nepreva or any of those people. I, I'm very disappointed by that. To me, that seems like the logical reaction for most Norwegians. Um, and you do kind of have to wonder, like, even historically, if you go all the way back to the 1920s, I just am finishing reading Ski Sport by uh, Ethan, wait, E. John B. Allen. I don't know, the, the ski, from, skiing, from ski sport to skiing, chronicling some of this history. And it's, it's very fascinating how in that text he talks about this Norwegian pride over the entire sport of skiing and kind of like our way or the highway and and being very forceful from a rule standpoint of like, this is how we're going to judge ski jumping competitions. These are competitions we allow. And like some of the Wild West American innovations were tossed out, looked down upon, and just quite frankly, not not allowed to be put in. Like um, Norwegian, Norwegian um, authorities within the governing early governing bodies of skiing really having their way with how um, outcomes were determined in scoring competitions and just the general direction of the sport, you know, as it were. And, and basically coming from a standpoint of like, look, we skiing is our thing. It, it, it's, and that is true historically. So like, I, I'm not even saying that 
to a certain degree, that level of pride was unjustified. I think it's totally justified. Like Norwegian, Norway's where skiing kind of started, or, or at least Scandinavia, right? Like the the heritage, it's coming from that. So they sort of have the right to dictate it. Kind of like with a football, you know, if like some other country stole that and tried to make it on an international level a certain way, like Americans are the authority on football, Norwegians are the authority on skiing. Like that's fine. But, but actually some of that misuse, almost like a prideful, like if, we have a little bit of extra power behind our statements here. Like, how much did that play into this decision too? Is that why, like, the IOC's decision differed from this? Because IOC is being more disproportionately influenced by Scandinavian nations, which would have multiple incentives to not want to see Russians compete. On the one hand, without any Russians, Norwegian athletes are going to dominate like they did last year. And on the other hand, there's sort of the historical political um, just uh, conflict or enmity or tension, I guess, better is a better way of saying it, you know? And they, they, and rightly so, you know, look at Finland, Russia invasion of Finland, just the proximity of those nations. Like, if I was living in one of those regions, may, maybe, maybe your concern would be just like, hey, we might be next, right? Like, how, how are we supposed to know Russia can invade us coming up? Like, I don't know, these, these topics are all dicey. It's all tough. And I think... If you're a ski fan, my at least general gut reaction is you should be really disappointed that Russian athletes are not competing in the World Cup next year. And and I know that that probably will ruffle some feathers of people who listen to this show too. I I think there's especially if you grew up watching or competing against Russian athletes, you, you know, 70s, 80s, what have you, like your your opinion is probably more informed than mine um you also might have to recognize too though that that your perception of then soviet union athletes now russian athletes that whole culture that whole system like how open-minded are you being if you're just gonna go well this happened to me in 1976 or 1974 and so i can't get past that and therefore i'm just gonna put my foot down like you know, I, I know many people are open-minded in many other areas, but that's the one where they're gonna put, where they're gonna dig their heels, in. and that doesn't seem fair either. And of course, like for the for the good side of competition, like don't isn't this what we want? We want to see the best go at it. And, and as far as the doping thing goes, like I, I don't know, I I'm skeptical on many different countries. Heck, I'm skeptical if if you think if you think that the Russians are certainly doping then how come they would ever get beaten? Like, even when the Russian athletes were in the World Cup in 2021 through most of 2022, like, the Norwegian men's dominant was still being talked about as ruining the sport. So are, should I believe that the Norwegians are just that much better at training? They tr- they're just that much better at technique and gamesmanship in races that they can still take down um, a Russian athlete training 1,400 hours a week on snow dead months of the year who's also using EPO and whatever else he can find? I don't know. That seems kind of unrealistic too. Like if you're someone who goes every single Russian athlete's probably doping or most of the best Russian athletes are doping, then to me you kind of have to logically conclude that so are Norwegians and so are the Finns and so are Italians. And you know what? Let's just play an imaginary world. Let's just say that was the case. So in other words, all of those nations that are semi-competitive, like like their athletes are in the top 10, 
they're they're doping. Like it would at least let you go, huh? Maybe that's why the American men are not breaking through that top fifteen hardly ever. Like look at the distance performances, right? When was the last time an American man was even in the top ten in a World Cup distance race? Like I know at the World Championship, Scott Patterson has done some top ten stuff, but like you know, and and last year we had that one weekend where Ogden and Schumacher and all those guys, Hunter Wonders, I think they were like kind of in the top 20, maybe a 10, 11, something like that. But, but I'm talking like they were vying for the top 10 or, or top five, you know, like, I know we haven't had that. We have not had a man on the podium, obviously in a 20 K or a 50 K or something like that in forever. So like, could that, is that a, is that something? I mean, there's no way Wickham Grover, there's no doping going on in the U S system. I would be, I'm 99% positive of that, right? Obviously, I can't say with 100% certainty, but but they're very against it. Those guys are guys of character. They've proven their their character level, I think, in so many other ways. And like, so if you were to say, hey, man, maybe everyone in the World Cup but the U.S. is doping, I, I it, that would not come to me as like some crazy revelation. I, I could believe that. I'm not saying that is what I think, so please don't misquote me, but... But it wouldn't. It wouldn't necessarily. It would explain some things to some degree. So, yeah, systematic doping within the Russian system. Well, come on. There's probably systematic doping in a lot of other systems too. So, I, I again, whether it's true or not, is kind of just like I think if you're a, a lover of competition, a lover of sports, it's part of it's part of the world we're living in right now. We see it in running. We see it in cycling. And you kind of have to accept the fact that these testing methods aren't. Um, they're not good enough to catch everyone. So quit, quit whining and moaning about it because typically the accusations are not, they're not bulletproof accusations that we're carrying, you know, like, yes, there are circumstances where we catch someone red handed or whatever, but, but by and large, like that aura of mystery is just going to be there. It's frustrating. I'm not here advocating doping, but I'm just saying like it, it it does, I think, to some degree annoy me when it kind of continually comes up. And then it really annoys me when it comes up and is only thrusted upon one nation when it's when it doesn't even make sense. If doping affects people that much, if doping is such a, an enhancer of performance, then if someone is using it, they should pretty much never lose. So I don't know. And and if it's not, if it's something where the margins are so fine, then just don't don't worry that much about it. Okay, yeah. Bolshan is pretty dominant. Mo Far, the Mo Far thing is one one athlete that I think is so mysterious. He's almost like as a running fan, how can you not think Mo Far was doping, right? That's he went from being um a mediocre average um runner goes to Great Britain, joins Nike Oregon Project, already some sketchiness there, and and then goes on to double up in the 5K and 10K at, well, well he almost did it in 2011, did it at the 2012 Olympics, 2013 World Championships, 2015 World Championships, 2016 Olympics, and 2017 World Championships. Just no one, that is the most dominant distance running performance that's ever happened over a long, over a stretch of time. I mean, he, he could not be beat in a championship final. It was phenomenal. And like some people are just, just point to that transformation later on in the twilight stages of his career and go, it must've been doping. And to me, I go running was very exciting when Mo Farah was there. And how can you, you can't, if we haven't proven it, I don't think we can just lay that down upon him. So to some degree, I guess I just feel that way. In um, 
and when it comes to skiing as well. So many dicey topics on this show. Hopefully you've uh, stayed along for the ride. Um, and, and hopefully too, I know I've got listeners in Norway and guys, I love Norway. I love the heritage. I love the history. I love the country itself. If I could be Norwegian, I probably would. I, sweet, Sweden's great as well. Finland. Uh, I'd love to go visit all those countries, but I, I, and I want you to know too, like all you Norwegian listeners out there, Norwegians have only treated me with the utmost level of respect and um, kindness, I have I have been treated in a way that I I didn't deserve or earn it with all of my um, interactions with them. My master's thesis, Dr. Sombach just lending his expertise to it, invaluable. I I didn't deserve that. I I cold requested that, and and I'm so grateful for that. I think about my trip to Norway as a recruiting trip. I basically just sent out emails to clubs and Linderski members said, hey, we'll house you. We'll show you around. You can come with us and hang out with us, meet different families. It was it was a tremendous experience, something I will never forget in my life, and I will never forget that kindness and friendship. So I don't want it to sound like um, you know, I have any ill will towards Norwegians. And I, and I also, for Russian people, I don't feel that about Russian individuals as well. Sure, is there, again, like I said, a dark history? I can hold that on one hand, and I can also have an interaction with a Russian who has tremendous pride for being Russian and respect that and um, and, and, and honor that, I guess, too. There's, there's values across these places, and I think we need to learn how to um, sort of bridge those gaps. So there's the little kumbaya I'll, t- I'll put a ribbon on it or whatever the <laughs> the saying is as we move on to the other topics. The other thing I think happening in the Nordic ski world that's of interest is Klabo deciding to leave the national team. Is that going to be good or bad? Here's a Eurosport article. Klabo resigns um, and the headline says so that the Norwegian Ski Association can spend money on other athletes. Um and it says, Klapo has decided to resign from the national team after the Nations Ski Association recently revealed it would be reducing their costs. And he said in a statement, I feel it would have been wrong to get support for altitude camps at the same time as teammates have lost their place due to cost reductions in the association. Um, I mean, if that's the truth, hold on, Mocha. Mm. Got a little bit cold now. This is not good. If that's the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, um, kudos to Klabo. Again, he's the golden child. What could he do wrong? His ski form is perfect. His strategies are perfect. Every line he takes on every race is perfect. And even the moral decisions he makes are perfect. Um, let's praise Klabo. <laughs> I mean, and he deserves some of that. I, I would not, this, this does not shock me. I think it's kind of probably the reality is, is this is a mutual mutually beneficial thing. Klabo, it it seems like he has been the one in support and in favor of the traditional model, Norwegian model of going to altitude, using that training in different blocks. We know he went to came to Park City here last summer. Um and I think the newer way for Norwegians, they have not been going that direction and he was I think critical about that as were a couple of of other athletes being critical of not doing altitude camps before um, certain championships. So I think Klabo is kind of thrilled about the idea that, look, okay, they come out and say they're, they're, they're having to make cuts, financial cuts. 
maybe this is a good time for me to look like this benevolent star. Hey, hey, you guys can go ahead, use your money on some other people. I want to go train at altitude anyway. I don't want you to have to pay for this. It's a win-win for everyone. It's a win-win for everyone, especially Clabo, because he looks he looks like a great dude, and he's going to be able to go play on his altitude camps. I think that's all there is to say it. Now, as far as speculation goes, fun speculation, it's kind of interesting to wonder, like, where is Clabo going to go for some of these altitude camps? Kind of seems like he is falling in love with the United States lately. He's been coming over here. I saw on Instagram he was in Park City getting his little physiotherapy or whatever he's got going on. He's got a little system there with the... Um, former masseuse for the spurs or something like that uh okay i'm just spewing false information now maybe that's not false information it was, it's an american who's been working on his hamstring he fl- he uh, flew on up presumably to vancouver and um, hung out with his girlfriend there i believe for a weekend so is he scoping out some sites i think he liked park city could see him coming back there it seems like it makes sense for him to do that maybe he's gonna head on up to um the northwest pacific coast or i guess if you're in canada what is that is that the southwest pacific coast if you're talking the alberta area get some altitude there um he's got he's got a couple great locations picked out this does kind of come back to again that discussion that we talked about earlier about if you're sort of the face of cross-country skiing and cross-country skiing is trying to fist trying to make this hey where the we understand our sport isn't always climate friendly, but we want to change that. Wouldn't you be trying to, you know, have your star athlete have consistent messaging with that then instead of jettisoning all over the world? I mean, again, that just kind of, to me, undermines the integrity behind that entire movement. Is it really an emergency then if this is what you're doing? You know, um, there are there are MAGA-wearing rednecks living out in the woods who are more who have a smaller carbon footprint than the most extreme climate change activists. That should bother you if you are really concerned about climate change, I think. Um, anyway, Clabo leaving the national team. What are my thoughts? Personally, my thoughts on that, I think he's got to do what's best for him. If, and if it's getting coached by his grandpa and is managed by his dad, whatever. It's kind of phenomenal that you see. Actually, this is an interesting point. Everyone likes to praise the... Sorry, I'm going to rag on the Norwegian system again, but it'll be in good fun. Everyone likes to say, look how perfect the the national governing body of Norway is with their um, system of how they bring up young athletes and they care for the holistic development of the whole person and they train just the right amount at each stage. And yet we've got Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who is super closed up by himself being managed and coached by his dad and surrounded or was and surrounded by just his brothers like that's it's team Ingebrigtsen literally and then Klabo kind of the ski version of that you know like you don't really see Klabo ever in in the mold of Jesse Diggins like look at Diggins guiding and shepherding the young athletes and it's all about team and unifying men's and women's team I mean I wonder if Clabo's even had a conversation with like whoever the random 21-year-old first-year female is on the Norwegian women's team. Probably not, you know, unless they're at the World Cup and he's like, hey, you're in the way. I've got my Fisher test skis. I got a test. Like, can you move over? You know, I mean, so that's that's kind of an interesting thing. Like, if you want to criticize the U.S. ski system, uh, maybe think about that too. Like, the two best endurance athletes in Norway are kind of like in this familial mold. 
Now, if you wanted to be kind of a, you know, patriarchal, patriarchal Doug Wilson reform, maybe that's the way we should go. We should just say, get rid of all this, you know, government-funded, team-based, national governing body. As far as sports go, no coaching, no coaches. Everyone, it's the same thing as the old school homeschool education. If you want to help your kid, go help your kid. We're not going to provide any coaches. We're just going to, you can raise them up in the way they should go physiologically and spiritually. I'm <laughs> just joking on that. But, you know, it seems like that's the way that some of these athletes are doing it in Norway. And and if you think about how training works too, it's it makes sense that that's the way to go. You you, you reach your your peak and when you are consistent in training and you only can really be consistent in training if you are um, stressing the body at just the right amount that it can handle and allowing it to recover at just the right amount it can handle. And a lot of that's individualized. So it comes down to either having a coach who has a very unique, you know, mind reading ability to to and and open channels of communication with the athlete to foster this um introspective knowledge of the of the individual athlete's body so that you can stress it recover it at all those you know intricacies there or or you're a person who's individually capable of doing that and you don't have the outside pressure of being part of a team this is the the beauty and the curse of being an individual athlete and i can definitely i can speak to that from totally personal experience i mean my entire college career was i guess at least 88 to 90% of the mileage i did and workouts i did were were just completely solo and it got to the point where though i had rapid improvement in the I should back up sorry my first year in college at Bemidji state i got to practice every day with the team rapid improvement there in the next three years, it was almost ex- exclusively by myself. Still, tons of improvement. Um, I had it was harder to improve, obviously, as as everyone knows with endurance training. But um, the interesting shift that happened is while well, I was energized, invigorated, and pushed by that team in that first year, by my fifth year senior year, it was extremely difficult for me to to train with the, the team, even if I could, even if I had the time. You know, there were occasions we'd have a speed workout. It's just like, man, I need 25 minutes to warm up. Man, I need that extra strider. I mean, I I know I'm gonna have to go to the bathroom after the first interval, but then the next 10, I'm gonna crush. You know, like all those little things that you can you don't have to worry about when you're by yourself. They they can hold back a team, or or maybe you know the assigned workout isn't even the best thing for you. Tweak, tweaking it is possible when you're an individual and when you're on a team, you kind of just, everyone's got to go. And so the team can have power too. It can push you harder in an individual set or moment and, and it can carry you through a workout. Um, but, but, and, and so I guess my conclusion there is, Hey, if we're looking at the pros and cons of both of those things, really probably the ideal thing for an athlete is to have a little bit of a mix of both. Um, so that would be my one concern with Clabo is like, if you're going to go totally solo and what if the team kind of shafts him and he more friction with those athletes, can he really push himself to be at the peak, uh, and, and fulfill his full potential if he's totally solo? I don't think so. I, I really don't think there's anybody who can do that. Kip Choge doesn't even do that. Right. And we practically think he is a deity at this point. So if Kip Choge can't do it, no one can, um, <laughs> I don't know if it's, I had some rant. No, it was in an email, let'srun.com. I sent about just the idolization, pedestalization of Ilya Kipchoge and how unbelievable carry, unbelievably carried away it is. Gotten to and talk about a, a whole nother issue there. Marathon running, the world of that. It is getting to be summer, and so expect on some of these further shows for us to 
run the gamut talking about running issues because I think track and field, it's a fun talker. There's a lot of things to talk about. The stars are prevalent, a lot of different events. You can talk sprinting. We can talk jumps, pole vault, distance, of course. Um, and and it, so it's track season, guys, and we'll definitely be bringing some takes there. I think those storylines are interesting to follow. And if you're an American, I mean, we're the greatest uh, track and field team on the planet by a lot. You know, like um, the, the U.S. Championships is a great event. The Olympic Trials is the best um probably the best endurance sporting event that there is on the planet over, even over and above the olympic games and part of that is because just how co- competitive we we are and the system it's that it is top 3 going to the games of course now that's trying to be tweaked with so it is getting it's losing a little bit of its luster but yeah track and field is uh it's exciting. So get into it, get after it, start reading some stories, peruse the let's run.com message board. So you can keep up to pace with the, our upcoming cedarskier.com shows. Uh, it's been, it's been a long one here. We're almost to 90 minutes, so we probably should wrap it up. Um, I had one other story. What, what was it? The thing I didn't get to. Oh, ski Congress stuff. You know, just for those of you who are out, I'll, I'll quick run through faster skier. Actually, this story I was talking about Ken Roth, he did talk a little bit interesting update on the Russian ban. He he hit some other points I think that are important. We can quick run through them. Um, other FIS news. FIS announced that after adopting equal racing distances for men and women, it would also apply the same rules to world championships and Olympics. In its post-council meeting notes, FIS stated that after introducing the same distance, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so the approved distances are 10K, 20K, 50K. Skiathlon. 10K plus 10K, so 20K scavalon, and then a relay, 4 by 7.5K, and a team sprint, and then a sprint. Um, so stop. Am I missing something here? Like the one, the one thing I'm curious about is didn't the traditional, the old school way was there was a distance interval start, so that was the 10K, 15K, right, for women and men, and then we had the mass start, 50K or 30K, um, and then a skiathlon. Now, looking at this, we have an extra distance event, right? Am I missing something here? 10K, a 20K, and a 50K. So I'm assuming the 50K is going to be a mass start. It does not say anything here, but, you know, and then I'm assuming 20K, 10K, maybe they're going to alternate classic to freestyle but both of those will be individual starts um yeah not sure or or is that going to actually be like an individual start and then pursuit maybe like individual start 10k pursuit 20k something like that not really sure uh it does not specify that skiathlon distance 10k 10k i think that's right i think that's the one that's one of the um the distances i i I do kind of like i think 30k gets a little long and um and and 20k is about perfect for that. I think the the women's one was was too short actually, just flat out too short for men or women. The relay 4 by 7 and a half k. Oh man. It, how do how can we we have to lament that loss, don't we? I mean, it's it is a little bit depressing to think that we're not going to have the 4 by 10k anymore. I think I don't agree with this distance, obviously. Have to take a contrarian approach. The thing that bothers me is the 4x10K has a little more history. Obviously, wasn't that part of the first Olympics or, you know, that, that's been on the program for a long time before, before women were allowed to compete. Actually, Ajay's pointing at me, 1924 Olympics, they had 
two events held, the 50K and the 18K. Why don't we bring back the 18K? That would be good. That would have been good for history. Uh, 1928, 50K, and 18K. Man, that's the uh, that's your traditional thing, isn't it? 1932, 18K, and 50K. So the first three Olympics, that's all we had. I'm just going on Wikipedia here. But then 1936, we have the 18K and the 50K. Okay, here we go. Petition it right now. Fist, you should have brought the 18K back. Why do a 20K? Make it 18K. Let's be let's be true to our history here. Make it historically relevant. Then it was the 4x10K. So the first relay they had was the 4x10K, won by Finland um, in 241.33. They were six seconds ahead of Norway. And then Sweden was a couple of minutes back. Hmm. Okay, so I'm just going to keep going through. Still no women at that Olympics. And then we have 1948, 18K, 50K relay. 1952, 18K, 50K relay. And women, a women's 10K. So we're honoring the women's history there by having that 10K. And then in 1956 is the first time we have... Women get a 10K and a relay. Men have 15K, 30K, 50K, and a relay. And the relay for the women was a 3x5K. So what are my thoughts? I was about to say that if you're going to change it, either go with the 4x10K or go to a 4x5K. And if you want to make it uniform, I'm fine with that. I think it's totally dumb that the relay was the one where they... If there was any one that like they should have shifted right away as far as making uh, equal distances for both genders, it should have been the relay. And they probably should have made it both 4x5K. I think the 4x10K can get long. Now, I'm a long-distance guy, so I don't mind it too much, but um, I-, I think the drama probably increases if you move it to a 4x5K, and it kind of keeps it, it keeps it closer. It probably gives more nations a little bit more of a chance as well. So I'd be, I'd actually be more excited to watch a four by five k than I would a four by ten k. But I kind of think the four by ten k is also more exciting than a four by seven and a half k. Now this first year it might turn out to be really exciting because that distance is going to be so wonky. But I don't know. It's the it's the skiathlon half for women, so maybe they'll have an advantage. I don't know. I, I'm I'm assuming some of that decision was maybe course related or something you know I, I don't know it it seems kind of like a lose for everyone it kind of takes away some of the history you know by eliminating that and and I'm sure Devin Kershaw will will probably illuminate this opinion as well that cross country always messes it up they don't stick they don't keep, maintain some of these distances to have some of that history and look we did it again I, I would not be shocked if that's his take now as I'm scrolling through the Olympic distances obviously I feel the same way about the 18k come on we should have kept that if you keep going here, by the way, the men kind of go 15, 30, 50 relay. Women are still 10K relay in 60. In 64, women get an extra event. So women 5K, 10K relay. Men still 15, 30, 50. It's 15, 30, 50 again for the men. Nothing's changed in 68. Nothing is changed in 72. Nothing's changed in 76. No differences in 80, Sarajevo in 84, we have the women get a 20K now. This is an interesting women, 5, 10, 20. I mean, I think the 80s 
through like the 90s when they had that 5, 10, 20, that's when I would have been the most disappointed as a woman because that 510 is so similar. It's like, I mean, especially if you were a sprinter or a major long distance skier, you've got nowhere to settle. And if you're someone who's kind of a decent 10K guy, you're just, you're destroying people. This, pro- this is part of the reason why the when Volby won five golds, to me, it's a little bit like you have to almost asterisk, asterisk compared to nowadays because like the landscape was just so different. 15, 30, 50 for men, and 5, 10, 20 relay for women still. Relay for men, too. That's an 88. And 92, nothing changes except, oh, we have a pursuit. So I guess we did, we took away the 20K for women, and we added a pursuit for men and women. So this is interesting. For the men you had then, this is 92. There was a 10K for men, a pursuit for men, a 30K for men, a 50K for men, and a relay. No wonder Bjorn Dolly could get so many medals, right? And the women, again, women get the pursuit, they get a 15K, then they get a 30K, so that first kind of longer distance race for the women there. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at this, you know, you can see how 15K has some tradition, but where was our first Olympics with the 15K? Was it 60 or something? I got a quick scroll back now, try and find it. Um, The first... Olympics with a 15k according to Wikipedia is okay we had it in 64 had it in 60 and 56 so 56 so 1952 the Oslo Olympics didn't have a 15k so the 15k isn't that old in fact well it is older than the 18k I was going to say the 18k actually was 24 all the way to 52 so it's been there for a while. 18K, is that the traditional distance? 50K's been there forever. You can't get rid of the 50K, you know? Crazy. Hmm. Well, I digress. But I think that's the uh, the major story. There is something a little bit interesting from the Ski Congress. When I was looking at the documentation from the actual Ski Congress, uh, they, you can look up the... Um, looks like the live stream but also the congress book and the book of reports one kind of interesting committee report that i thought was a little fascinating um is if i scroll down to they have a committee for advertising a medical committee committee for paris sports report so these are all sort of like the committee just saying this is what we felt like worked this year last year things that need improvement blah 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 um Okay, hold on a minute. I got to find it. Special committee reports. Where is it? Oh, so the Legal and Safety Committee, Chris Moore, chairman. Since the previous report to Congress in 2022, the Legal and Safety Committee has continued to meet on a regular basis. Um, and then it says a couple other sentences. It goes on to its category. So it says the first one here is fist transgender policy. Let's. We gotta add one more spicy thing into this show, don't we? In conjunction with the medical committee, we continue to urge council to adopt a transgender policy. We are somewhat dismayed at the fact that the recommendations of these two committees have been largely ignored. That's it. That's all it says. Um. So, kicking the can down the road, perhaps Fis is doing, trying to let this kind of simmer out. The new statutes. Um. The committee is concerned that although FIS has now adopted a new set of statutes, 
it appears that the provisions contained in those statutes are not being followed. At the last Congress, amendments, amendments were attempted to be made to the statutes without following the proper process. A particular concern was the attempt to amend the statutes by eliminating reference to the Legal and Safety Committee and Medical Committee as standing committees. This was not done properly. It is hoped and expected that at the 2023 Congress, this error will be rectified. The committee continues to be concerned about the fact that the new statutes were formulated without consulting with the Legal and Safety Committee. We understand that there are further statute amendments that will be proposed at the upcoming Congress, and we hope that our committee will have the opportunity to provide some input with respect to these proposed amendments in advance of the Congress. The committee continues to recommend that steps be taken to ensure that the statutes and the IACRs are properly cross-referenced. Um, Fisk Governance Working Group. To the extent that this working group still exists, the Legal and Safety Committee continues to recommend that a member of our committee be added to this working group. All these other committee reports, I don't, I feel like, oh, yeah, we're, we're happy with how things are going. Everything's going great. This one, it's like, uh, they're trying to be you know, official and everything, but it's like, this must have been giving the shaft to the legal com- the committee, right? Um, the next category, fluorinated ski wax prohibition. We understand that these rules will now be fully implemented for the 2023-2024 season. The Legal and Safety Committee continues to be concerned about the reliability of the testing equipment and any issues that may arise due to disqualifications that may be applied because of this prohibition. Um, review of appeals. That one's normal. Council elections. The 10 rules of skiing they wanted to get looked at. And then this is the kind of the kicker that caught my attention, Okay. The final bullet point on the report, overall relationship between the committee and FIS. Dun, dun, dun. This is like, you know, in elementary school, two friends, like someone slips a note and it says, I don't think we can be friends anymore. Since the last Congress, the Legal and Safety Committee has attempted to reach out and communicate with FIS Council as well as senior FIS staff as it relates to areas of concern of the committee. So that's everything above. The committee has received no response whatsoever with respect to these initiatives and has not even received an acknowledgement of receipt of the various requests that have been made. Ooh. So we've got these issues that are not unimportant, and FIS is just totally shafting them. That's kind of striking. Our committee, therefore, has some concerns with respect to this situation. In the past, the Legal and Safety Committee has always had a very respectful relationship with the council, and FIS staff have been tremendous assistance to the— Oh. They've always had a very respectful relationship with council, and FIS staff have been of tremendous assistance to the organization. We understand that there may well be an initiative in place to reduce and eliminate the existence of certain committees, one of which may be the Legal and Safety Committee, which may explain the lack of engagement. (laughs) You guys don't like us. We've heard that maybe you want to get rid of us. Maybe that's why you're not talking to us. The committee fully respects the ability of Congress and council to determine that the nature of and existence of committees and subcommittees. However, our principal concern is that in doing so, it is hoped and expected the proper processes are followed and the FIS statutes are adhered to. But they're not holding their breath, it sounds like. The committee once again would like to thank blah, 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 blah. Okay, so not the greatest report there. That's just hidden amongst the, uh, the FIS the FIS 2023 book of reports you can find on FIS.com if you want to read some of the other committees, what they had to report about. But a little bit of drama there, right? A little bit of drama to end our Cedar Skier podcast today. We're happy you joined us. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed some of the discussion. If you have any thoughts, questions, opinions, questions, comments, concerns, 
shoot them um, to cedarskier at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. We'd love to uh, put your email out on there. If you if you want to have your email read, I mean, that'd be great. I like reading emails on our next show. So uh, anyway, whatever you're doing right now, we just hope that you are giving it your all, you know, and uh, don't forget to keep on striving and keep on skiing. Yo, give me some Alfred Reed, a blast to bless until my lips bleed. You know there ain't no need, but my name is Ryan Seed, and so I talk about band like Eminem does about weed, or 50 Cent does about greed. It's my knee, no, it's my D, but I still like trumpet better than the double reeds. I don't know if there's anything worse than a redhead conducting the band with a purse, but with band till 6.30, you know I'm so hungry. Wanna fill up my belly at the deli with Ghirardelli, not state extra 20 just to play the Gavarelli. I name my dog the Hobbs, he's a little ADHD for a poodle, and I spend my time watching videos of my well, I'm listening to Moodle And you know I practice every day Sometimes I even play an old man And I do it the same way Never use a pencil Cause it's all in the rain We're going on a fan tour We're gonna be wealthy nuts. We're nuts We play the music that made us We're going on a fan tour We're going on a fan tour We're gonna be world famous we play the music that made us We're going on the band tour Ever since I was little playing in the sand All I wanted was to go to Concordia and be in the Concordia band I was practicing all day, practicing all night Doing the Arbin's etudes till they were alright Gaining that big honor of sitting at the couch Makes it all worth it that I never was a slouch The Hobbs keeps us all playing in that great time But sometimes I get distracted by his high hairline He always knows what's going on in his class So hide your kids, hide your wife and you might pass Between Frosty Byers, D. Hutlund and the Hobbs himself Nobody's having more fun unless they're playing We're going on a band tour We're gonna be world famous We play the music that made us We're going on a band tour We're hot, we're hot You're not, you're not We are playing the colonial song It sounds so great, I wish it was twice as long Why didn't Granger write in a part for the gong? Because our percussionists never play anything wrong Ryan Slaughter Black pays the drums oh so fast Like my man on the sax, his name is Jack Ducats From the flutes, Jensen Maiden, and I threw in Cassie threw in From the pep and making sure that our spirit is never in ruin On my cash, homie, I pay my dues to Rachel Miller if you don't, she'll come after you like the killer that's in Thriller. Cody Johnson is for real, but his real name is Toby. At least that's the doctor Hopperman told me. In the back row, Austin Phillips is holding up the brass. The one section in the band with absolutely no class. When Sam stands up to tune, I'ma play the right pitch. In the, the Florentine, Florentine March, we're gonna slap that bass drum. We're going on the band tour. We're, high, we're, high. we're gonna be the world
We don't really need conductors. <laughs>